Praise the Lord. I'm Bishop Chester Wright, and uh, this is lesson one of a video series of lessons on the subject of the voice of God in the church today. This may sound a little strange to your ears at first mention, but I believe that if you will complete this series of lessons, that you will agree with me that there is very little more important for a child of God than their ability to discern and hear and judge the voice of God speaking to them. In fact, if I can be so bold as to start this entire series of lessons with this statement, there's probably no more important spiritual skill that a child of God should have than the ability to hear the voice of God. In fact, Romans ten seventeen says, faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. And the Greek word there for word is rhema. We will talk about this more later, but just by way of introduction, rhema is uh, uh, one of the primary two Greek words that are translated by the English word W-O-R-D in our Bible. The other one is logos. Uh, Very briefly again, uh, from many times of saying this, logos would be essentially equivalent to the written word and rhema would be equivalent to what the Spirit is saying to us. Rhema is uh, the Greek word that comes from the root verb reo, and the suffix dash ma means the result of. So rhema is the results of what the living voice has spoken to us. Reo is very generally Uh, understood to be what the living voice says. In this case, the word reo is most frequently used in the uh, Greek New Testament to refer to God speaking, the spirit of God speaking. So rhema is the word or the results of what the spirit of God speaks to us. And so that's the foundation of faith. That's the foundation of faith. Uh, Faith comes by hearing, hearing, spiritual hearing, uh, and hearing by the voice of God speaking a word from God to us. Now, right there, without having to say anything more, we all should be able to see just how important it is for us to be able to recognize, discern, the voice of God speaking to us. So therefore, the title of this series, The Voice of God in the Church Today. We're going to start here. We're going to start with talking about the sonship. Uh, All of us individually, male and female, are sons of God. All of us collectively, male and female, are the bride of Christ. But for the beginning, this first lesson, We want to talk about sonship and the voice of God and see just how critical this is. 
the, the son's ability to discern or recognize the voice of the father speaking to them. So allowing the faith of the son of God, the son of God, to live and flow through us as conduits is dependent upon our, our being able to spiritually hear the voice of God. So we want to examine how the son of God heard the voice of his father. However he heard it, that's how we're supposed to hear it. Whatever he did with the voice of God, that's what we're, or, or the voice of the father, that's what we're supposed to do with the voice of the father. So it's very critical here. I'm trying not to start fast. The, it's very critical right here in the very beginning of this for you and I to fully understand that uh, the Lord Jesus Christ, the man Christ Jesus, was our example, our mentor in everything. And uh, he, he's the one that established what faith is. And we're going to get into that in detail. So there is a direct correlation between sonship and obviously the father of God, fatherhood of God. So how is the, how are the two, how do they, the two relate one to another? By communication. And what is communication? It's two-way communication. Certainly we understand talking to them, to him. We understand talking to the father. But do we understand the Father talking to us as sons of God? God's primary method for exercising his authority and demonstrating his power is through speaking his word, his rhema to us. If the Lord is going to be able to use us as his conduits, we must be able both to hear his voice and to speak his words. To be able to hear his voice, our flesh must be crucified. The goal of this crucifixion is to have the faith of the Son of God flowing through us. Here we're starting really heavy right from the beginning here. So here's what Paul said. Paul said that we are to follow him as he follows Christ. Galatians 2 and 20. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. What a powerful verse all by itself. Could, could or probably should be a lesson in this series all on its own. But right now it's only the introduction to the series of lessons. But listen to exactly what it's saying. Paul said, I am crucified, not that I hope to be. Uh, I have experienced crucifixion. And how was Christ crucified? You say on a cross. No, the cross was the place of death. It was not the cause of death. The cause of Christ's death took place in Gethsemane. And this was the cause of Christ's death. Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt. You say, well, that sounds pretty simple. Yes, that must be why. 
then he was sweating great drops of blood. Medically speaking, for him to be sweating great drops of blood, he would have to be under tremendous mental and emotional strain, causing actually a rupturing in the walls of the heart where it begins to leak into the pericardium, the sac that surrounds the heart. And then the body trying to dispel this, the blood that's collecting there, dispels it through the pores of the skin as sweat, red sweat, sweating great drops of blood. So this was not a simple thing for him to pray, but he prayed it. And that is crucifixion with Christ. I am not expected to crawl on a cross someplace of a literal cross, but I am supposed to allow the circumstances of my life that God, my Father, has ordained to be in my life to bring me to the place that I say, not my will, but thine be done, and mean it. And so when I die, by the grace of God, by the Spirit of God empowering me to do so, and I die to myself, my will, give up my control, then the Scripture says, I I will live. If I die, I will live. In the Bible, all life comes out of death. All life comes out of death. So if I'm crucified with Christ, I will live. And yet, it won't be me living. It won't be me living. It'll be Christ actually living in me. But it doesn't stop there. And the life which I now live in the flesh. Oh, I thought I was dead. Wait, wait for it. Here it comes. The life which I now live in the flesh. I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So I'm dead, but I'm alive. How am I alive? Christ is the one now living in me. But he doesn't just abide in me. Now he flows out of me. In ministry, how do I know that? Because the life that I now live, I live by, by the means of the faith of the Son of God. Some modern translations translate it by faith in the Son of God. But in the original text that the King James was translated from, there is no preposition in that entire Greek text that can be translated by the English word uh, in, by faith in the Son of God. No. It is the prepositional phrase of possession. Of the Son of God is the prepositional phrase of possession. So this, I can change that phrase into the possessive form of the noun and it, I haven't done anything to the, to the scripture at all, but it has made the point a little clearer to my human mind. The life that which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith, by the Son of God's faith. And that's what we want. We want the Son of God's faith. We want His faith living in and through us. We want His faith operating through us. Whatever He saw the Father do, He did. Whatever He heard the Father say, He said. So if the Son of God's faith is operating through us, 
Whatever he shows us that the Father's doing, we will do. Whatever he shows us or that we hear the, that the Father saying, we will say. Being able to hear the voice of, of the Father. Speak what he is saying is the faith of the Son. This is the ministry of sonship. So when I'm called to be the Son of God, this is the ministry that God gives all sons, males and females. To hear the voice of the Father and speak what the Father is saying. When I do that, it's not just Christ living in me. It is the Son of God living through me. So what we're going to do in the things I've just said in the first few minutes of this first lesson they're very foundational, but you will hear them again many times during this series of lessons. Why? Because they are foundational, and but they're very important for us to get. In fact, if I could be so bold, I, I would make a very poor comedian because I'm going to tell you the punchline and then tell you the joke to get to the punchline. Okay, so I'm tell, I just told you the punchline of all these lessons. Now we're going to spend these lessons showing you the, in the word how we got to that foundational material and why it's so important to you and why you should make it a priority in your life. Many years ago, Brother T.W. Barnes made the statement to me. He said, Brother Wright, if you don't ask God for anything, seek God to be able to be sensitive to his voice and to the moving of his spirit. And I have been faithful to what the man of God says. I still seek to be faithful to God and sensitive to his spirit and to be able to discern his voice speaking to me. So let's talk about the voice of God. One of the most amazing revelatory texts we can consider concerning the voice of God is when God speaks to Moses to speak to Israel. And then to Pharaoh, what God would speak to him first. In fact, you might want to study all of chapter 3 of Exodus, but we don't have time for that. So I'm just going to start with Exodus 3.16. And let's listen to this. This is God speaking to, to Moses. And he's still by the burning bush. He's still on the backside of the desert. He's still taking care of his father-in-law Jethro's sheep. But he has seen this burning bush. He's taken off his shoes. He's standing there. He's hearing from God. God's talking to him. And he's talking back to God. So God says, go, verse 16, Exodus 3. Go and gather the elders of Israel together and say unto them, The Lord God of your fathers, the God of Abraham and of Isaac and of Jacob, appeared unto thee, saying, I have surely visited you. And seen that that which is done to you in Egypt. And I have said, I will bring you up out of the, out of the affliction of Egypt under the land of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites unto a land flowing with milk and honey. And they shall hearken to thy voice. Well, why would they hearken to Moses' voice? Because Moses' voice would be saying what God's voice had said to Moses. So verse 18, and they shall hearken to thy voice, and thou shalt come 
thou and the elders of Israel unto the king of Egypt, and ye shall say unto him, Lord God of the Hebrews, the Lord God of the Hebrews hath met with us, and now let us go. We beseech thee three days' journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. And I am sure, listen to this, and I am sure that the king of Egypt will not let you go. No, not by a mighty hand. Okay, wait, 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 God. You're telling me to go to Pharaoh and tell him to let your people go, but you're also telling me he's not going to do it. Even by a mighty hand, he's not going to do it. Verse 20, and I will stretch out my hand and smite Egypt with all my wonders, which I will do in the midst thereof, and after that he will let you go. And I will give this people favor. I mean, God is telling him this all in advance. And I will give this people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. It shall come to pass that when you go, you shall not go empty. But every woman shall borrow of her neighbor and of her that sojourneth in her house. Jewels of silver and jewels of gold and raiment. And you shall put them upon your sons and upon your daughters. And ye shall spoil the Egyptians. Well, how does that, how does that work, God? Well, in Exodus 4 verse 10, God assures Moses that he will be with Moses' mouth and teach him what to say. Listen to this. Moses 4, or Exodus 4.10. And Moses said unto the Lord, Oh, my Lord, I am not eloquent, neither heretofore, nor since thou hast spoken unto thy servant. But I am slow of speech and slow of tongue. And the Lord slaps himself on the forehead and goes, I, I didn't know that, Moses. When I called you, I didn't have any idea that you weren't eloquent. What was I thinking? I've got to go find myself someone who is a slick talker. And of course I'm being sarcastic. Because Moses isn't telling the Lord something the Lord didn't already know. Why would God call a man to speak for him who wasn't a good speaker? So God could speak and God could work and only God would get the glory. Remember when the king in the book of Acts spoke and people said, oh, this is the voice of a God. And he took and the the king took the credit for himself and God said I'll show you how much of a God you are and smote him and he died I mean taking the credit for what God says and does and God always starts with saying before he does the doing because it is the saying that produces the doing so if I take credit for the saying I'm going to take credit for the doing. And when I take credit for it, I just stole God's glory. 
And that puts me in a bad spot with God. So Moses is telling God what God already knows. I'm not eloquent. Boy, some, some guys need to really be reading this today because that seems to be the whole focus, even now in Pentecost, is to be as eloquent as you can. Well, we'll find out in this series of lessons that Paul wasn't trying to be eloquent. In fact, he was trying to be the opposite of eloquent. Now, Moses started out eloquent and he needed God to be able to speak. Paul start, excuse me, Moses started out not being eloquent and he needed God to, to enable him to speak. Paul started out eloquent and had to allow God to bring him down to where he couldn't count on and wouldn't count on his own natural speaking ability. <laughs> I uh, recently tweeted something that said simply this, ministering the word of God is not public speaking. It's not public speaking. It's not about speaking. It's about saying what God wants to say. It's not about fancy words and ability to speak. So here's Moses complaining because he can't do what so many of us are trying to do today. And God knew it. So again, verse 10, Exodus 4. And Moses said unto the Lord, Oh my Lord, I am not eloquent, neither heretofore. Nor since thou hast spoken unto thy servant, but I am slow of speech and of a slow tongue. And the Lord said unto him, Who hath made man's mouth? (laughs) Uh, You don't win arguments with God. Lord, I can't do this. My mouth doesn't work right. And God says to Moses, who made your mouth? And who, or who maketh the dumb or deaf or the seeing or the blind? Have not I the Lord? Now therefore go and I will be with thy mouth and teach thee what thou shalt say. In other words, Moses, I don't want you to hear my word and then add all your words to it. To make it all flower, flowery and appealing to the hearers. I want somebody to speak that's just going to speak what I want him to say and not add to it and take away from it. I wonder if one of the reasons we're not seeing more things happen in our churches this, these days. is because, oh, we pray and we hear from God. Hopefully we do. But then... We add all the stuff to it that we think it needs to have so that people can better understand it and so that it sounds good to listen to. And God was looking for somebody that was totally surrendered to him, whether because of inability or because of surrender, that they would not say anything but what God gave them to say, not adding to it or taking away from it. Well, Moses didn't accept what God said. Moses had unbelief. 
And his unbelief frustrated God. So what does God do? And Moses said in the next verse, verse 13. And he said, oh my Lord. Send, I pray thee, by the hand of him whom thou wilt send. So, Lord, pick somebody else. I can't do this. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses and said, Is not Aaron the Levite thy brother? I know he can speak well. <laughs> wait, 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 wait a minute. Here I am talking to you, Moses. And you're informing me you can't speak well. So God, you must be at the wrong address. So your unbelief has provoked me to give you a mouthpiece. So the whole reason God gave Aaron Moses to be Moses' mouthpiece wasn't that it was the plan of God. It was Moses' unbelief. And the Lord said, oh, by the way, I know he can speak well. In other words, uh, he can take it and run with it. And that's why I didn't pick him. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses. And he said, it's not Aaron, thy brother. Aaron, the Levite, thy brother. I know that he can speak well. And also, behold, he cometh forth to meet thee. And when he seeth thee, he will be glad in his heart. Now listen to this. You want to understand how ministry is supposed to work? And thou shalt speak unto him and put words in his mouth. And I will be with thy mouth and with his mouth. And will teach you what ye shall do. And he shall be thy spokesman unto the people. And he shall be, even he shall be to thee instead of a mouth. And thou shalt be to him instead of God. What did, what did God just say? You talk about a mouthful, forgive the pun. God just said, here's how this is supposed to work. I'm God. I'm supposed to speak to you. You're supposed to be my mouth. I'm going to speak to you, and you're supposed to say what I give you to say. But because you're telling me I can't speak, God, I'm not eloquent. Now, obviously, Moses could talk. So notice the difference here. Moses didn't say, I can't talk, God, because if he talked to God, if he said that, he'd be talking to God. He didn't use sign language. So he obviously can talk. So he wasn't talking about whether he could talk. When he used the word speak, he meant in a, in a, in a, in a flower, flowery or uh, appealing manner. Or how did Paul put it? I speak not with enticing words of man's wisdom. So Moses is saying, I can't do that. And God is saying, I know you can't do it. That's why I picked you. 
Well, God, send somebody else. And so God said, no, can't send somebody else. You're the one. So unless you're telling me you won't go, because of your unbelief, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to give you your brother Aaron to be your mouthpiece. I know he can talk. That's why I didn't pick him. But you're forcing my hand here, so this is what I'm going to do. You will be to him instead of God. I'm not going to speak to Aaron. I'm only going to speak to you. And you're going to speak to Aaron and tell him what I said. And he's going to say what you say. So he's going to do the talking I wanted you to to do. But he's not going to know what to say except what you tell him. And you're going to tell him what I tell you. So he will be for you instead of a mouth. And thou shalt be to him instead of God. Wow. Wow. Why is it this taught in every training program for those who say they're called to minister the word? Why is it this principle taught to every one of them? That the goal, the issue... The point is not how well you can speak, but how accurately do you say what God gives you, not adding to or taking away from anything God says. That, my friend, is ministry that God claims as what he did. When he can speak to you in your spirit and you speak to the people, Exactly what God says. And you don't diminish anything from it and you don't add anything to it. You just seek what God says. God says that's well done. But what if people don't like it? What does that have to do with anything? We're not called the servant of people. The ministers of the word are called the servants of God. We're, we're serving God by speaking what he says. We're not serving people. In fact, the Bible says, if we seek to please men, we cannot be the servant of God. I mean, it doesn't beat around the bush there, does it? If we seek to please men, we cannot be the servant of God. So, the question is, what has God's voice spoken to us today? In the New Testament, God, what God has said by his spirit to us is called rhema. This is the Greek for a word from God. I've already mentioned it. I'm going to cover it just a little bit more right here. What's the difference between logos and rhema? Logos is what God became so he could create everything. The first thing that God did in his mind was he became Logos. And by that Logos, he created all finite things. The infinite God cannot be restricted by the finite. He can't be. The infinite God cannot relate directly with the finite. So the part of God that can do that is Logos. And the scripture says in John 1, 1, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, the word was God. 
The same was in the beginning with God. In the beginning was the Logos, and the Logos was with God, and the Logos was God. The same was in the beginning with God. In John 1.14, and the Logos was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father. And the Logos was spoken and written down for us. And what we call the Bible is the Logos recorded for us. And it's the Logos that's the forever settled word. Heaven and earth will pass away, but Logos will not pass away. So everything is judged by Logos. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every Logos that proceeded out of the mouth of God. But here's the problem. If Logos was supposed to address every issue of my life, it would be even bigger than what John said in John 21, 25. He said, there are many other things which Jesus did and said, the which if they should be written every one, I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. So Logos can't contain everything that each one of us needs to know individually about our lives. So while Logos is the forever settled word, Rhema is the revelation of how that Logos applies to my life at any given time, on any given day. And that applying of the Logos to my life, which then becomes the will of God for me at any one moment in my life, is called Rhema. Rhema is the revelation of the will of God for me. Whether that's me speaking to somebody else or God speaking to me for me, it's the will of God for me to do that. That's why the man Christ Jesus said that his whole focus was to find and know and do the will of his father. How many times in the gospels did, is it recorded that he said that? If that was the focus of the son of God, and we're now his brethren as sons of God, according to Hebrews 2, shouldn't we be doing what he did? Shouldn't that also be our focus? So rhema is the spirit of God speaking to us. It is the rhema of God in the church today that we are teaching about in this series of lessons. Because people preach sermons from the Bible every week all over the world. But the problem is, unless God is the one that quickened that to them and said, This is what I want you to say. They're just sermons. They're not words from God. The Lord communicates with and through those who are his. We count on this. We can't have a relationship with God without us being able to talk to him and him being able to talk back. No matter what the current culture thinks about how crazy we are to think that God speaks to us. How stupid would it be to be in a relationship where only one side can talk? I don't want a faith in God, in a God who can't talk to me. In fact, how impotent would God be that he could only hear, but he can't respond and speak? How ludicrous is that? 
How foolish do people make themselves appear to be when they make fun of somebody because God spoke to them? How foolish is it to claim to have a faith in God and a God that you've never heard his voice? Oh, but there's the kicker. By the time this series is over with, you'll know that's a lie. The problem is every single living human being has heard his voice. They just refused to acknowledge it was him. That's the key right there. Genesis 18 verse 17 says this. And the Lord God said, shall I hide from Abraham that thing which I do? Seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation. And all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. For I know him. That he will command his children and his household after him. And they shall keep the way of the Lord and do justice and judgment. For the Lord may bring upon Abraham that which he hath spoken of him. So as we go through this series of studies. I've got a lot of scriptures. I don't have the time to read them all. So some of them I'm only going to read the high points. I am trusting that you, for your own benefit, will go back and look at these texts yourself. The notes from which this series has, is being taught will be available after the series is complete for those that would like to have them to just conveniently look up the verses. Even though not every verse that I am quoting in this these lessons is actually in the notes because that's what hearing and repeating is all about. That's what being a conduit's about. Letting the Lord speak. Jesus' name. So Second Kings chapter six, verse eight, it says, Then the king of Syria warred against Israel and took counsel with the servants, saying, In such and such a place shall my be my camp. And the man of God sent the king, sent unto the king of Israel, saying, Beware thou that thou pass not such a place, for, for thither the Syrians are come down. And the king of Israel sent to the place which the man of God told him, and warned him of, and saved himself there, not once nor twice. In other words, numerous times. Therefore the heart of the king of Syria was sore troubled for this thing, and he called his servants, and he said unto them, Will you not show me which of us is for the king of Israel? And one of his servants said, none, my Lord, O king, but Elisha, the, the prophet that is in Israel, telleth the king of Israel the words that thou speakest in thy bedchamber. Well, how in the world can, can the prophet tell the king of Israel what the king of Syria says in his bedchamber? Is he there? Of course not. But God is. God's everywhere. And the Spirit of God hears what the King of Israel says, Syria says. And he speaks to the prophet. And the prophet tells the King of Israel. And God spares his people. Psalms 25 and 14, the secret of the Lord is with them that fear him. And he will show him them his covenant. Amos 3, 7, surely the Lord God will do nothing, but he revealeth his secret unto his prophets, his servants, the prophets. How does he do that? By telling them, Matthew 13, 11, he answered and said to them, because it is given unto you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of, of heaven, but it's not given to them. 
How do we know them? God speaks them to us. How about this? 1 Corinthians 2 and 9. But as it is written, I have not seen nor ear heard, neither is into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. But God hath revealed them unto us by his spirit. For the search of spirit searcheth all things, save the deep things of God. How does God reveal those things to us by his spirit? He tells them to us. For what man knoweth the things of a man, verse 11, save the spirit of man which is in him, even so the things of God knoweth no man but the spirit of God. Now we have received not the spirit of this world, but the spirit which is of God. Why? That we might know the things that are freely given to us of God. It is the will of God for us to have these things. It's the will of God for us to know these things. But we cannot know them if we can't hear the voice of God. Now the Lord God is compelling us who have received His word to speak His word so that it can come to pass. So listen to John 17 verse 6. And I have manifested thy name unto the men which thou gavest me out of the world. Thine they were, and thou gavest them me. And they have kept thy word. Now they have known all that all things whatsoever thou hast given me are of thee. For I have given the, unto them the words which thou gavest me. <laughs> that's, pretty, that's pretty plain, isn't it? That's pretty plain. So, the disciples know what God wants to know because Jesus, the man Christ Jesus at that time, he gave them or spoke to them the words the Father spoke to him. Thereby establishing the pattern and revealing the faith of the Son of God. Whatever the Father told him, he said. Well, who did he say it to? To us. For I have given unto them the words which thou gavest me, and they have received them, and have known surely that I came out from thee, and they have believed that thou didst send me. <laughs> How about Romans 16, beginning verse 25. Now to him that is of power to establish you according to my gospel, and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery, which was kept secret since the world began. But now... Is made manifest. How? A preaching a confirmed word. And by the scriptures of the prophets. According to the commandment. Of the everlasting God. Made known to all nations. For the obedience of faith. And here it is. Here's how this works. Second Corinthians 4.13. We having the same spirit of faith. According as it is written. This is, this is what David said. I believed. In other words, faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. I believed what God said to me. And therefore, I have spoken what God said to me. Paul said, so we also believe what it is that God says to us. And we therefore speak what God said to us. In order to speak the word of God. We must first need to be able to hear the Father's voice as sons of God, like Christ, the Son of God, heard the Father's voice. Now here, here's his confession. 
John 8, 26. I have many things to say and to judge of you, but he that sent me is true. And I speak to the world those things which I have heard of him. Heard of whom? The Father. Verse 28. Then said Jesus unto them, When ye have lifted up the Son of Man, then shall ye know that I am he, and that I do nothing of myself. But as my Father hath taught me, or spoken to me, I speak these things. What the Father has instructed me to say, that's what I say. As sons, both our faith and its operation are dependent upon our ability to hear the voice of the Father. I've already quoted these verses, but here we go again. We're going to get some context for it. Romans 8 and 10. Excuse me, 10 and 8. But what saith it? Let's start back a little bit, okay? Verse 5. For Moses described the righteousness which is of the law, that the man which doeth those things shall live by them. But the righteousness which is of faith speaketh on this wise. Say not in thy heart, who shall ascend into heaven, that is, to bring Christ down from above. Or who shall ascend into the deep, that is, to bring up Christ again from the dead. But what saith it? The word, the rhema is nigh thee, even in thy mouth and in thy heart. That is the word, rhema, of faith, which we preach. Where is it at? It's in your heart. It's nigh you, in your heart. Verse 9, for if thou shalt confess with thy mouth, the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him up from the dead, thou shalt be saved. I love this word confess here. Oh, if we confess Christ, we're saved. Well, let's find out what the word confess means. According to Strong's, it means to assent, to covenant, to acknowledge. Thayer says it means to say the same thing as another. So confess means I say what someone else has said. And this is the way faith works. Confession is I hear what God says in my heart. My heart believes it. And then I speak the same thing with my mouth. What God's spirit says to my heart. So confession is not some pronouncement of some formula. Confession is actually the operation of faith, which Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 13, which we read earlier. We having the same spirit of faith, according as it is written, I believed and therefore have I spoken. We also believe and therefore speak. That's called faith, but it's also called confession. And so therefore, when Paul says that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, I'm going to read verse 8 again. But what saith it? 
The word rhema is nigh thee, even in thy mouth and thy heart. That is the word rhema of faith which we preach. That if thou shalt confess what the Spirit of God says to your heart and you believe it, you speak it in agreement. That, so God is the initiator. God is always the initiator of what I'm quote unquote confessing. God is always the initiator of it. It is never me. It's always God initiating. I can't say that enough. It's always God initiating. Always God initiating. Always God initiating. He speaks. I hear, I believe, I speak in agreement with it. So verse 10 says, For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness. And with the mouth, confession is made unto salvation. In other words, faith is not faith till I both hear and believe what I've heard and speak it in confession. That is faith. And it takes all of that for faith to be faith. But guess what? It takes all of that for salvation to work. Now, the word to save, that is the root word of the word salvation here, does it just mean to save from sin? The Greek word sozo, which is the root word for this, this word salvation, can mean deliver, it can mean rescue, it can mean heal, it can mean make whole, it can mean save from sins. So whatever it is in ministry that God is wanting to do through us, we have to be able to hear the voice of God, speak the rhema of God to our hearts, Our hearts, our spirits need to be able to discern that's God speaking to me. Then I have to embrace what God said and believe what he said. And I have truly embraced it and believed it when I now speak it myself. That's what God is doing. That's what he wants to do. So let me read. Continue on. I'm going to read the verses that are not my notes uh, to get to. Verse 17, so that we see the connection. So I'm going to read quickly from verse 10 up through verse 17. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, but with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture saith, whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. For there's no difference between the Jew and the Greek, for the same Lord is over all, over all who is rich unto all that calleth Upon him. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. How then shall they call on, on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach except they be sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace, free, peace and bring gl- gl- glad tidings of good things. But they have not all, all obeyed the gospel. Why? Because they didn't believe the report, or maybe the report that was given didn't originate with Rhema from God. So they heard a sermon, but they did not hear a word of faith. So if people are going to be saved, faith comes by hearing, hearing by the Rhema of God. But what did it say? To the lost, what is God's primary method of delivering rhema, the rhema of salvation, the word of faith? How shall they hear without a preacher? How shall they preach except they be sent? 
Or how about this? How shall they believe? Except the one that is sent faithfully speaks what God says and not sermons. Faithfully delivers a word from God. How shall they be saved? It takes the word of faith to save them. It takes a rhema from God. So the preacher has to be in tune with the voice of God. Has to be submitted to the voice of God. Has to hear the voice of God. Recognize that's the voice of God speaking a word from God. Has to believe that and then has to deliver that exactly like God wanted it said. Or people can't be saved through that ministry. They can't be. So again, here's the operation of faith. Here's the spirit of faith, according to Paul. And here is how apostolic ministry works. Whether it's preaching, teaching, prophesying, evangelizing, giving a word of prophecy, a word of faith, a word of knowledge, a word of wisdom, praying for somebody to be healed, praying for somebody to be delivered, speaking a message in tongues or interpretation. It doesn't matter. It all works the same. We having the same spirit of faith, according as it is written, I believed. And therefore have I spoken. We also believe and therefore speak. Can you confess that today, my friend? Is that the ministry that you have? Or have you learned how? Spent your time learning how to get, maybe, maybe you got a direction from God, but you put together a sermon. By the time you candy coated everything God said, you've made the word of God of none effect. It's impotent. In Jesus' name, let repentance come to the men of God today that we might hear the voice of God, do the voice of God, and not add to or take away from what God is saying so that souls can be saved. I I speak the spirit of grace, mercy, and peace upon you that we might be able to walk in a way that's pleasing to God. In Jesus' name, amen.